Welcome to today's edition of DHG's GrowthCast. I'm your host, John Locke, and at DHG, our strength lies in our technical knowledge, our industry intelligence, and our future focus. We understand business needs and are laser focused on company goals. In this ever-changing world, DHG's GrowthCast provides insights and thought-provoking conversations on topics and trends that address growth opportunities and challenges in the current and future marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we discuss tomorrow's needs today. The views and concepts expressed by today's panelists are their own and not those of Dixon Hughes Goodman LLP. Always consult the advice of your legal and financial professional before taking any action. In this episode of GrowthCast, we are going to focus on what we've learned over the past year working through the pandemic and how we can continue implementing these learnings into the future to better the workplace. And I can't think of a better person to dive into this topic than our guest today, DHG's CEO, Matt Snow. Matt, welcome to GrowthCast. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so excited to spend time with you today to talk about uh, a topic that I know is very near and dear to your heart um, after what we've all been through. And when I'm thinking about words that come to mind, you know, the first two words that really come to mind are adaptability and accountability and the roles these two have played and will continue to play as we reenter the offices, which I know is in the very near future. So accountability and adaptability really are two skills that we have to sharpen during the pandemic. And we really did that. And now we have to predict how we'll continue to need to do so as our physical offices and ways of working with each other may never go back to how they were before March of 2020. I think you'd agree. So, Matt, you know, when you think about adaptability, accountability, what do you think has changed the most in this past year? Is there something that surprised you? Yeah. So, well, there's been a lot of things that have changed in the past year, but on these two topics, these two words that you've really focused in on here, it's very interesting. I I look at the accountability cycle, I'll call it, you know, think of, you know, plan, perform, evaluate, repeat, like rinse, repeat type cycle. Uh, If you think about that cycle, I think most of us throughout our careers have operated under really an annual career, uh, an annual, like I'll call it accountability cycle. That cycle is now anywhere from, you know, weeks to three months at a time. And I've had this conversation with so many people where, gee, seems like three months ago was a year ago. And that's really what we're thinking about here. Accountability really happens on a much shorter cycle now based on what we've been through over the course of the last year, which really speaks to how well we adapt. So these two topics are very related and I think are interesting to talk about uh, in the context of coming out of the pandemic. So when you think about these two words and you think about implementing some kind of a strategy around this, how do you actually know if something is working or not in such a quick time frame? Because I know it must just seem like it evaporates. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, the time does seem to fly by and we, we have to make decisions uh, without having all the data that we're used to having. The luxury of sitting back and having every single piece of possible outcome, the data and what it could be that seems in today's time to be, have been so easy is just it's just not possible. So I think 
collaborating on topics and decisions before we make them is critical when we're on this short cycle, like what we're talking about and getting a lot of input quickly. Um, so, you know, I think that's certainly, uh, certainly something to look at. You know, I think too, that we tend to only report good stuff. And so, you know, when we're on a short cycle like this, it forces us to be a lot more transparent with things uh, because if we want teams to adapt, if we want ourselves to adapt, we've really got to, uh, you know, to really speak very candidly and openly the truth. And it's not that we were telling lies before, but it's like we've got to be a lot more in-depth and on point about the ranges of possible outcomes of things and what we're really looking at. So we relied a lot, though, on getting input and collaboration uh, from pulse surveys. And those pulse surveys were only good if we were really being transparent with our communications and people could really know how to give their input and their feedback on things. But in addition to that, we had to look at other pieces of information to make good decisions. And that was one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so we really did engage a lot of our leaders and our partners to speak to our people directly and, and gather and pass up what they were hearing that maybe were things that were not showing up in Pulse survey. So getting input from a lot of different sources was uh, another way for us to quickly get data on how things were working. Well, you brought up really two very powerful words, transparency and then communication and or the frequency around that. So let's dive into that just a little bit more. Uh, tell us how you feel that actually went during the year. You talked about pulse surveys and touching base with people, but share with us in the audience just a little bit more about how that worked for you and the leadership team. Yeah, so this was one of, if you had to tell me what three or four big things did you really learn or refine in the pandemic? For me, it was all over our communication. And, and I could write, uh, you know, a multi-chapter book on that topic just coming out of, of, of what we did. But, but things happening so fast and needing to communicate out to our people was just critical. And pretty early on, I learned that the transparency of that communication was tantamount. The last thing we needed was misleading people, good or bad, uh, on anything. And so getting, you know, just sharing with people what we knew at the time and what decisions we were making. And this applies not just in managing through a pandemic, but it applies today in what we're doing with our clients, where they're operating under the same time period that we are with this short accountability cycle. So, you know, communicating with our clients is just as critical. I think the same thing applies with them uh, as well. Uh, but I think all in all, our we made it through the pandemic for a lot of reasons. And one of them was, I think our communications really served us well. And I think the lessons learned there can be applied to helping people build careers, as well as giving our clients feedback on how their businesses are doing and how we can help them can help them also. Just this transparency, I think, has been taken to a whole new level and the need for transparency uh, was really critical. Well, I think the uh, your and, and the leadership team's total view of that was pretty amazing because it, it didn't seem like you really even waited. I mean, it, it, wasn't it like just a matter of days that you just started this incredible cadence around communication to the 
entire company, right? Yeah, and, and you call it a cadence now. At the time when we first started on March 17th, we didn't know when the next one was going to be. I, I was thinking, <laughs> well, maybe next month we'll have another one of these. And I think it was the next week we got back in front of everyone again. So even the cadence wasn't known. And so we quickly had to, and before I go and speak to 2000 people, we wanna make sure everything is right. And, and that we're, we really understand what we're sharing and the impact on people. And is it everything that we know at the time? So uh, it, it, the, the cycle got very quick and fast. And I'm sure that created some angst for you personally because you didn't have all the answers. That's but right. yet That's you right. felt the need to connect with everybody, even without all the answers. Is that fair? That's right. And, but it is. And, but you know, that's something we all had to do. And I really felt prepared for that from having worked with clients over the years. And so that, you know, these experiences that we have serving clients really helps us out in times like this, because we have to, when we sign off an audit report or, you know, we don't know every single solitary thing that has happened. We have to make judgments about what's going on. And so it prepared me well to be able to do that uh, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. Well, it was uh, a, a much needed and much appreciated gesture, I think, on your part and supported by the leadership team. And speaking of the leadership team, let's just pivot and talk a little bit about the strategy that you had to employ with your leadership group. Could you touch on ways you've recalibrated your leadership style? Yeah, we did. We, we've actually evolved as, this, as we've moved through the pandemic and I think have made ourselves better. I won't be, I certainly don't want to imply we will never change again and we're done. We're, we're evolving like everyone else is. But we focused, we, we, as everyone knows, we made changes to our senior leadership team structure in the fall, really effective January for a lot of reasons. But, but one was to really uh, improve our decision-making abilities. And we've put a lot of emphasis as a team on the, the team, on building trust within the team. And, and how do we build trust? And that is the foundation for any, anyone who's done studies on team building and how to build a strong team, having that trust, that psychological safety, uh, as it's called so often, is critical to building a high-performing team. We need a high-performing senior leadership team because we need a high-performing firm, and it starts with us. And so we've really spent a lot of time focusing on the trust that we have in one another. And it's, it's really interesting because we've we spent a lot of time reading Pat Lencioni's books, and we've used actually his his firm has helped us through a lot of our team building exercises that we've done. And, and one of the best outcomes of trust, now listen to this, this is gonna sound paradoxical, but any of you who've done team building know what I'm talking about. But we build the trust so that we can engage in conflict. How about that? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and I'm not talking about conflict like we're screaming and yelling at each other. All Some people might do that. I know Pat Lencioni talks a lot on his podcast about screaming and yelling and even having the building tenants come up and ask if they're okay. They're like, oh, yeah, we're fine. We're just, you know, doing teamwork. But, but we're, right. that's not really, you know, screaming and yelling is really not what we're talking about. We're talking about challenging each other and really having the safety and feeling the comfort to say, I don't think I agree with that. And why is that? 
And I think there's a better way. And fleshing that out with everybody on the team weighing in on it, not to criticize, but to get the best answers. And so we've done a lot of work on team building, building trust, having exercises where we actually engage in some healthy debate and conflict. And we're already seeing great signs of it where we're coming up with different answers to things than we might have before. And so that, that and it's, you get back to your whole point here, John, on accountability, and it's about holding each other accountable to the best answers for DHG and what we're doing. So we're building a lot of trust in the senior leadership team now so we can engage in conflict. How about that? Well, I love that because really, I think Lencioni talks about high-performing teams really needing to uh, be able to manage healthy conflict well, because that actually feeds that trust equation and and builds trust and creates a high trust environment. So kudos to you for jumping in and tackling that one, because that, that's a big one in this uh, current day and age, right, to uh, try to figure that trust equation out. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting I've noted is that during this I don't know what you want to call this, probably the most unusual business year of our lives for most of us, I would say, we have still had a need to bring people into the equation, right? I mean, we just didn't stop bringing folks in. But when you talk about building trust and orienting people into a culture, wow, what a challenge during a pandemic. So when you think about how we have done in that regard, how do, how do we, first of all, how do you do that? How do you bring people in virtually having never met a human being here and build trust with this group? Well, you know, we, we should go ask them. <laughs> How well has that gone? <laughs> yeah. But 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 it, but seriously, it, it's it's very fascinating to me. We've had a number of team members join DHG and we've never seen them in person. And you know, other than maybe the original interview, but even some of those were done virtually. And I'm even looking, and, and she's going to be embarrassed, but sitting here in our virtual room is Jesse Therrington, who's one of our communication managers here at DHG, who helps us with a lot of our podcasts. But she's a great example. Sorry, Jesse, but she's a great example of someone. And we've had lots of our client-facing team members that have joined. And But, you know, you find a way to make it work. And it's interesting. I know a number of different stories, and Jesse, you're one of them, of people who have started mid-pandemic and are thriving at DHG and are really performing well because we figure it out and we go an extra mile. We're intentional about getting in touch with people and making sure they're doing well. And so, you know, things like that matter. You know, John, as you well know, we are an apprenticeship profession. Many professions, most professions are. We depend on face-to-face interactions. And so we depend on the cycle of uh, of observe, try it out, get coaching, um, get some feedback, and then adapt. You know, there's your word. And then come back and do it again. And, and that is best done face-to-face. It doesn't have to be all the time, but we believe that some or most of the time it should be. So we don't think this is going to last forever. So, you know, the, uh, the adaptations that we've made, there's a lot we can learn from them going forward about, you know, where we've had to stretch. Maybe we keep doing some of those things going forward. But, uh, but I would say that, you know, all in all, at some point, we will get back to needing to have a lot more face-to-face interaction. This is not a world of permanent virtual reality for us. It's, it, we're going to have to get back to it sooner or later. 
I can't wait to see some of the faces of our new people when they have the opportunity to walk into an office <laughs> or, or see somebody that they've actually been working with, you know, after a year, <laughs> which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So speaking of that, uh, let's talk about those two words, adaptability and accountability, as it relates to the potential that we all long for, and that is kind of re-entering back into the work world, back in more into our offices, seeing clients more often. So how do we really look at those two terms as it relates to managing this whole reentry back towards our uh, normal or our what will be our new normal? Yeah, so I think as we look to go back into the marketplace, back into the offices, um, adaptability is going to be key. And getting feedback from our team members as we go back into the, the market is going to be important. And that's not true just for the firm. It's true for all of us individually. Our work styles are going to have to tweak and be adjusted a little bit from what we've grown accustomed to over the course of the last year. Uh, but, you know, I, I think all of us as we go back uh, just need to be open-minded in, in realizing that the firm is going to, as we re-enter the market, and by the way, I consider that a a re-evolution of workplace uh, for DHG. Um, it will start one way, understand we'll go through a cycle of getting feedback, and, and then we'll make tweaks and adjustment as we, as we move ahead. But the same's true for all of us. We've got to realize that, you know, we might have developed some bad habits. We might have uh, done some things one way that aren't going to work when we start going back into the marketplace, whatever that might be. And so I think being open to getting that feedback, each one of us, the firm included, is, is going to be critical. Great. Well, when you think about this, uh, and I love the term, you know, re-evolution. <laughs> is that re-evolution of the marketplace? Yes. Yeah, I love that term. That's match because, word. That's not anything official. <laughs> no, I, I love it because it, it it challenges us all to continually think about taking new inputs and data, synthesizing it, and then continuing to come up with new ways to apply your business principles and your different types of strategies because the data stream coming in is continuing to change. Would you agree? Absolutely. So I really love this concept of re-evolutionizing DHG. Um, and as you look at this and preparing your leaders to help team members come back into this new environment, which is truly going to be a hybrid between where we were before, what we've existed in the pandemic, and who we want to be going forward. How do you really get your leaders prepared to handle this conceptually and then apply it with their team members? Yeah, well, I think the first thing, John, that, that all of us are realizing, and certainly what I'm emphasizing with our other leaders at DHG, is everybody's experiencing this and viewing it differently. And how we think that ought to work might not be how everybody else thinks it ought to work. And I totally get it because we all have different, we come from different experiences and backgrounds and we all have different views on this and we really have to be respectful of that. And so I think for our leaders, number one is understanding that everybody's going to be experiencing this differently and we need to be patient with everyone uh, in what they're doing. Patient with those who want to go back quickly, patient with those who want to wait to come back. So that's really I think teaching that to our people and helping people understand that is really going to help us all adapt better to coming back into the workplace. 
but we're also talking about trying to really get this figured out before we really go into full-blown re-entry into the marketplace. We want to go back the new way, whatever that, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what that's shaping up to look like. We don't really want to go back the old way and then say, oh, wait, now let's come back this different way. And so we're really trying to get that figured out now and get all of our leaders, you know, and get that ingrained in their minds about uh, how that how that ought to work. Uh, uh, we do expect to see a new hybrid workforce, uh, as, as you've suggested there. Uh, we do not think it will be obviously everyone working remote all the time, wherever, whenever they want. That doesn't work mainly because our clients you know, can't really have it work that way. We can't really meet our client obligations that way. And it doesn't fit in well with that building a valuable career model for our team members when we think about that too. But we do think that we'll have a hybrid workplace and what that looks like may be different for a lot of different people. That's why, although we're calling this DHG Anywhere, it's really, think of this as sort of the subtitle, freedom within a framework is what we continue to, to, to think of. And so really getting our leaders educated on that and understanding it, we're gonna start rolling out a lot more of this over the next 60 days so that our people will get a greater and greater understanding of not only what the framework is, but how it relates to them too. Um, the quicker we can get everybody on board with that so that people can adapt uh, and get back into that accountability cycle uh, under our new uh, way of working, if you will, uh, will be critical for us as a firm over the next three months. Well, that's exciting to look forward to. And I guess it would be somewhat uh, overstated to say that this has been an incredible year of learning for you. Would that be uh, probably an understatement, right? <laughs> it has been. I, I'm still searching, as I've said many times before, it's probably gotten old for that chapter on leading during a global pandemic. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I think well, some, some very skilled writers are probably writing it now. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, at any rate, I've learned a lot myself and I've had a lot of support too. And when you think about you know you specifically and what you've learned about yourself around accountability. Any tips that you might share with other leaders who might be listening today? Yeah, I think I learned a lot being, frankly, being a partner uh, at a public accounting firm, at a professional services firm. And I, I can honestly say for anybody contemplating their long-term careers, it, it's been one of the best careers for myself. Uh, and I would highly encourage it for, for everyone to, to really give it consideration because you learn a lot of skills that I don't think you could learn in other places. But I learned as a partner pretty early on that it was important to set up accountability systems for yourself in order to be successful make sure you're getting the feedback that you need. And if you don't, then ask. Silence can not only be deafening, it can be damaging to you by not getting it, uh, the feedback. Also notice that CEOs at a lot of, at some of my clients, not a lot, but at some, those who resisted any type of negative feedback, uh, those who set themselves up where they weren't challenged for anything, that any of their decisions, as a general rule, never made it. They plateaued, they, uh, you know, one day woke up and were pushed out. Um, their businesses, you know, did not thrive. 
there were a lot of different ways that that manifested itself, but those CEOs who surrounded themselves with accountability systems, whatever that might be, to keep them on the straight and narrow, if you will, uh, and to tell them the truth that something wasn't working well and needed to be fixed, those were the most successful over time. So that's what I learned. And I have tried to do that at DHG myself, and especially over the course of this past year, calling a leader or a partner, how are your teams doing? How are they responding to A, B, or C? Um, what's the general feeling there? Reading every single one of our Pulse surveys uh, that we've gotten, those have been, and the comments that were in there, have been very helpful to shape you know, my opinions and beliefs and to tell me something that I had decided was not right and needed to be fixed. And so those accountability systems are critical. And we have those built in at DHG for everyone, myself included. So I get 360s. Our executive committee gives me a written feedback every year, and it includes areas where I need to improve. And uh, we also, I, we have an independent chair now of our executive committee. So, which I think is important for the firm to have that independence there. Tricia Wilson does a phenomenal job. Uh, and so she is one of many accountability partners for me. So that has proved critical here. And I know a lot of us are type A and we tend to be like, oh, I wanna be perfect. But I've really learned over the years that really achieving um, success or accomplishing goals, you know, being having a good accountability system there is really what helps you adapt and grow as a professional over time. And so that's worked well for me, and I'd highly encourage it for certainly all of our team members uh, as they pursue their careers. Wow, tremendous advice, Matt. And I think uh, the vulnerability that you're sharing around that, uh, the learning that you've expressed has been so valuable, should be inspiring really to all of us to think about, hey, what can we learn from this? How can we be better? And I think DHG is better for what we've been through. And I know that that term has been used several times around here, emerging strong, right? Uh, That's right. We are, we are going to be different, but we are going to be stronger. Would you agree? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And I think we have grown stronger as a firm in so many different ways. And I could have not imagined that a year ago. And a lot of it I attribute to us being very, you know, open and transparent uh, with each other in order to really get the feedback, make tweaks, make pivots, and start that accountability cycle all over again. And, and part of that, I really want, I want that to stay with us uh, as we move ahead. Yeah, great. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing your journey here over this last year through the pandemic and what you and the leaders at DHG have been through. So thank you so much, Matt. It's been incredible and very inspiring and uh, just keep up the great work. Thank you, John. I've enjoyed being here. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us today on our episode of GrowthCast with DHG CEO, Matt Snow. We hope that you have been inspired by Matt's leadership story and that you will take time to reassess the changes that your organization might need to make to demonstrate more accountability and adaptability as we enter this next phase of business life. I'm your host, John Locke, and I look forward to reconnecting with you soon on an upcoming episode of DHG GrowthCast. <music>